Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, welcome to Legacy Sunday. Say that with me, Legacy Sunday. Well, I can tell you, it really was so exciting to be able to sit last week and, and watch you. And we want to welcome all of our campuses that are watching live stream. We want to start in the furthest regions of New Iberia, Tabasco Town. Come on, welcome Tabasco Town. And then the Mother Broussard campus for Broussard, St. Martinville, that entire region. And then also Midtown And then finally, come on, those folks that are right on the edge of going from being Cajun to being like Texas or Arkansanians. Come on, you know when you get beyond the other side of Opelousas, that's another country. Welcome Big O-Town. Come on, give them all a big hand. Well, shalom, which is, is peace and prosperity and blessing. That's what shalom is. Everywhere you go all over Israel, that's what they say. And And last week at this time, Michelle and I were in the airport in Tel Aviv, Israel. We got there early because our flight was going to fly out later, and she pulled out her iPad, and we actually watched church with you. And as we were watching, and of course here at this campus, Joseph was speaking, but but it began with that video, or ended with that video. And when we're watching that video, it's like surreal for me because... First of all, did I not look good back in the day? I used to be good looking. Look what y'all have done to me. But, but when, when, when I look back in those days in those orange chairs and there was 100, 150 people and we were saying God is going to use us to touch all of Acadiana, I mean, it, it seemed like so surreal in hearing them and, and the people that were talking. Hannah Reisner was this tall running around those orange chairs. Joseph was shorter than her. Don't tell him. That will hurt his self-esteem, but it's true. And then to see Damar sharing his story, because he is a part of breaking pride, poverty, and prejudice. And then Lauren Graham, who was a little girl. Her family was the first affluent family that came to our church. They were sitting in those orange chairs, and all we had in the men's bathroom was like a a cow trough was the men's bathroom. And whenever people that came dressed nice that looked like they had any money at all, I would pray, Jesus, please don't let them have to go to the bathroom. Please, please. And, and it wasn't cool like you'd go back in the back. You had to walk up to the front of the church and go out to the left-hand side during the middle of service to go to the bathroom. And I, I remember that, that, that when we began there, and then I remember when we began to build this building, we were across the street meeting at Westminster, and we had about 200 people. And, and I remember the vision that, that our church had and our elders and our leaders had that, that we could build a, a, a church just like the one in Broussard, one that would break pride, poverty, and prejudice, one that the rich and the poor would worship in, one that would break the barriers of Protestant and Catholics and just have people that loved Jesus, loved his word, and wanted to see the kingdom of God come to Acadiana. And, and, and we took... I wrote down 30 names of people, and I didn't know why, but this was the only hope that we had. I was going to ask each of them if they would give $30,000 a year for three years for us to build this building. 
Mr. Stullard committed that if we raised $3 million, he would give us $3 million. And I remember the first, the first person that I asked was George and Roxanne Graham. I, I called them. That, that was their daughter, Lauren. She's an actress, a movie actress. And I, I remember taking them out to Charlie G's. If I ever ask you out to eat, and, and I, I asked them to go to Charlie G's, and, and, and I just thought, well, here it is. So we got about, after, after we got past the duck on Dewey gumbo and the hot bread, I said, um, we, we have a vision of, of, of building a Lafayette campus, and right across from Westminster, and, and there's an old golf course, and, and, and we've secured that property there, and and I, I wanted to ask 30 people, if we had 30 people that would give $30,000 a year above their normal giving, then, 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 then we could do that. And Roxanne goes, George, you just sold your boat, and that's exactly how much you got. This is the Lord. I went, it is the Lord. Bring the appetizers, more shrimp. I can assure you they never thought that 20 years later their daughter would be a pillar in this house and that their son-in-law would be on staff. Stand up. That's Caleb right there. That's their son-in-law. They were sowing into the future, and they didn't even know it. They didn't even know it. You see, you hear me say this over and over again. You probably get tired of hearing me saying it, but the local church is the hope of the world. It is. It's the hope of the world. Why is it the hope of the world? Well, our church is 24 years old. Next September, it'll be 25 years old. But the church of Jesus is 2,000 years old. Through this whole series, we've been talking about legacy, that legacy is a future without you, still influenced by you. And can I tell you what the greatest desire is of every person here? To know that your life counts. To know that something in your life is going to long outlive you. Here's the truth. Every one of us are going to leave a legacy. There's just one question. Is it going to be one that's temporary, that dies when you do, or is it going to be eternal? How, how can I make my legacy eternal, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Because I say the local church is the hope of the world because of who started it. Jesus started it. And he died to give birth to it. As a matter of fact, the conversation I'm about to read to you, Michelle and I were just there in Israel, and we were there in Caesarea, Philippi. Caesarea was named after Caesar, and it's a beautiful harbor port area where where goods would come from all over the world and pass through there. Jesus took his disciples there where he'd been doing ministry, and there in this beautiful Roman city, the Romans had a temple that more than a thousand gods were in. And people were going in in the backdrop. Imagine people going in to this temple, and Jesus is standing there with his disciples, and he has this conversation. It begins in Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples this question. Who are the people saying, what are the people saying about me, the son of man? Who do they believe that I am? 
They answered and said, some are convinced that you're John the baptizer. You see, John, Jesus' first cousin that baptized him, had been killed. He'd been beheaded because the, the, the ruler of the region, Herod, had taken his brother's wife and was living in adultery. And when John the Baptist was preaching, Herod came out to see him, and so he called him out. In response to that, Herodias, Herod's adulterous wife, seduced her husband via a dance that her daughter did and convinced him to behead John the Baptist. And that's exactly what happened. So they said, he, John the Baptist has been resurrected in another body. And Jesus, they go on. Some say that you're Jeremiah reincarnated or one of the other prophets. But Jesus looked at them and said, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked, and Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus replied and said, your favorite and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah, because you didn't discover this on your own, but my father in heaven has supernaturally revealed this to you. And I'm going to give you a new name. Change your driver's license. Get a new passport. Your name's not Simon anymore, but your name is Peter, which means a stone. And on this rock, I will, it will be the bedrock foundation of which I build my church. What rock? The, the revelation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. How do you become a part of the church when you're born again and you realize Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of all mankind? And on this bedrock, I will build a foundation of which I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Why is a local church the hope of the world? Because Jesus is the head of it. He's the one building it, and he died to give birth to it. It's the place where the spiritually lost are found. It's the place where marriages are healed. It's the place where children return to their parents, where those who are addicted find freedom, where bitter hearts find forgiveness, where broken and grieving people find help and hope. It's the place that many of you were married. And when you die, it will be the last place you pass before you get buried. It's the place where we not only find a roadmap to heaven, but a map of how to live life on earth. It's a place where people cry with you. They laugh with you. They share with you. They build with you and they sacrifice with you. It's a place where we plan and we pursue and we pray to pay for those that are lost and those that are the least in this world. In Africa and Latin America, Asia, all over the world, the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. And all you have to do to join it is be a sinner. How many of you qualify? No, don't point at other people. Just raise your own hand for yourself. But let's be really honest. We're all going to leave a legacy. There are things that people are going to remember us by. One simple question, what will be the legacy you leave and will it be eternal or will it be temporary and die with you? Many of us feel like, Pastor, I, I, I've made some mistakes in my life, some big ones. I, I, I probably might be remembered for some of those. How many of you have made a few mistakes in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you would like to erase a year or two or a decade or two? Raise your hand. Well, 
I'm so glad that the qualifications for being used by God are not perfection, aren't you? I'm so glad that God isn't looking for anybody who's perfect because he couldn't find anybody but Jesus and they killed him at 33. But instead, he's simply looking for people that are willing and obedient. And when you blow it, you ask him to forgive you. You get up, you change, and you go the opposite direction and continue to become what he wants you to be. But that's why I love the church. But the man I want to talk to you about today, he made some big mistakes. But the biggest mistake of his life came near the end of his life. And if God could use him, this encourages me because I know that he can use me and any one of us. The man I want to speak to you about, his name is David, the giant killer. David's journey took four simple steps. He was chosen by God as a shepherd boy out of obscurity. In his teenage years, he killed Goliath. After years of waiting to become king because of the previous king's jealousy, Saul, he finally became king and reigned as king for 40 years. All of Israel, all 12 tribes united under him, and he became known as the greatest king in all of Hebrew or Israel's history. But he made a mistake, a, a, a bad mistake, a bad mistake. You see, mistakes, when we make them, or sins when we commit them, we, we know, hey, if I did something wrong, then, like, I got to face it. I just got to face it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, well, how many of you, you, you done, you've done something wrong, you just got to face it and just deal with it. But the real penalty and the real punishment of sinful choices is not the ones we pay for. It's when we see our sin bring pain to our children and those we love. Isn't that true? David is now 65, 66 years old. He is a story that people will preach about forever. This shepherd boy picked out of obscurity. Most Bible scholars believe he came out of an immoral relationship. And now God has raised him up to be the king, to unite all of Israel together and to really gather all of God's people that have been scattered for generations. And now we pick up our story in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And Satan, the adversary, stood up against Israel and incited David to what? Count the population of Israel. And you say, Pastor, what's wrong with that? You see, when God raised up David from obscurity and he blessed him and he prospered him, David wasn't counting on his army. When he faced Goliath, he wasn't counting on his great strength. He was counting on God. But you know what can happen to us? We can get blessed. We can start off with nothing and we can cry out to God and be humble. And as we cry out to him and he blesses us and then we can one day find ourselves no longer relying on the God that blessed us, but relying on the very thing he blessed us with. And when that happens, God's blessings become a curse to us because they keep us from the very person that gave them to us. How many parents do we have? How many of you know your kids are always good at Christmas? 
Oh, at Christmas, they start cleaning their room, mowing the yard, even though it doesn't need to be mowed. That's why they offer. They, they just start offering all kinds of things. But how many of you know it's so good when your children respond in love towards you when they don't want something from you or need something from you? They just love you. And now, judgment is going to come upon him because of what he did. First Chronicles 21, verse 7. Now, God was displeased with this act of arrogance and pride. And he struck Israel. A plague comes. And then David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech you, please take away the wickedness and the guilt of your servant, for I've acted very foolishly. And the Lord sent a prophet named Gad. And the Lord said to Gad, David's seer, go tell David, saying, thus saith the Lord, I will give you one of three choices to face for the consequences of your sin. Which one will you allow to happen for punishment of your sin? Verse 11, so Gad came to David and said to him, thus says the Lord, choose yourself either three years of famine, three months to be swept away before your enemies, while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or three days of the sword of the Lord and a plague in the land. And the angel of the Lord will bring destruction throughout all the territory of Israel. Imagine having to face that decision. Now, therefore, consider what answer, and I will return and tell the one who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And do not let me fall into the hands of man. And a death angel begins to pass throughout all of Israel, and people are dying, and David is watching. First Chronicles 21, verse 18, it says, Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad, the prophet, to go to David, that David should go up and build an altar because of his sin to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, which he spoke to him in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. That was They would take wheat and beat it down like that until the grain came off. It was harvest season. And he turned back and he saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And David came to Ornan. And Ornan looked at him when he saw the king. And he went out of the threshing floor and he bowed down before King David with his face on the ground. And David said to Ornan, give me the sight of the threshing floor so that I can build an altar of it to the Lord. You shall charge me full price so that the plague will be averted on the people. And Ornan said to David, take it yourself. Look, look King, you, you, you can have it. Whatever is good in your eyes. See, I will give you also the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges and the heavy wooden platforms for wood and wheat and grain offerings. In other words, I'm going to give you everything to build the altar. Here, you just take it. I will give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, I will certainly pay full price, for I will not take what is yours to offer for the Lord, nor offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by the way of the site, and David built an altar to the Lord there and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he cried out to the Lord, and he answered him with the fire that fell on it from heaven on the altar. 
And then the Lord commanded the avenging angel that he put up his sword back in his sheath. At that time, when David saw the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. Wow. Can you just say with me, thank God we're not in the Old Testament. Can you just say with me, thank God Jesus paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Come on, you can give him a hand for that. Okay. Do you imagine that that probably was a sore subject to David to the end of his life? Have you ever, have you ever done something really sinful or stupid and had people remind you? Yeah, remember your first wife? Remember when you dated uh, T-Boy at Dusan Elementary? Remember Lafayette High, who you went with, the homecoming queen, <laughs> and you're reminded. Remember that time you was at the keg? Oh, now I found you. Remember that night we was at La Fonda's and shut it down? You were standing on the table? Yeah. So when we make mistakes that are painful to us and others, we never want to be reminded of it. This was David's greatest mistake, and it cost the greatest amount of people. David dies at 70, and his son becomes the king. His son's name is Solomon, and we fast forward 10 years later. When you wanted to worship God, you went to a place called the Ark of the Covenant. It was a tent. And in that tent, they had the Ten Commandments and a few other holy items. And you would go on the outside and you would offer sacrifices to the Lord. There was no sanctuary. There was no building. But David always wanted to build a building, but God wouldn't let him. So at the end of his life, he commanded his son Solomon to build it. And Solomon had to decide where he would build the temple. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord on Mount, where the Lord appeared to his father, David, in the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. The very place that David sacrificed for his sins, the very place where God met him is the place the place where he'd made his biggest mistake that would be remembered, he went back and he built at the very same place that his father sacrificed. Can I show you that place? Let me show it to you. I just stood there last week. This is Jerusalem. It's called the Temple of David. About 60 years after Jesus was crucified, he had prophesied that this would be torn down and the Romans came and overtook it and there were rubble left and portions of the wall which have since, in the early centuries, they went back and rebuilt a portion of it. This is Jerusalem. This is the temple of David. And this is the place of the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So in other words... Jesus was 2,000 years ago. David was 1,000 years before that. So today, 
3,000 years later, David's descendants are still worshiping at that temple that he sacrificed at, at the greatest place of his mistake. Now watch this. How many of you have ever heard of the Wailing Wall? The Wailing Wall is part of this temple. That's the video I just took. These are Hasidic Orthodox Jews that are there and they're praying all day long. That's what they do. And do you know what they're praying? They're praying that the Messiah would come back. They were praying that the Messiah would come back. They didn't have access to that temple again until about 40 years ago. They had access for centuries. They had been held out of there. Do you think that David ever thought that his children would be worshiping at the greatest place of his mistake? But it brings us a very clear principle. And can I tell you what the principle is? Wherever you sacrifice, your children will build. Would you say that with me? Where I sacrifice, my children will build. How many have ever been at a place and seen somebody drunk? How many of you ever been down at the strip? Not lately, but a long time ago in your BC days, like two weeks ago. Okay. Look, look at me. You ever been at a restaurant or at a club and you see some old guy sitting there drinking and you you wonder what he's thinking? Can I tell you what? In 90% of those cases, you know what he's doing? He's doing exactly what his daddy did before him because wherever you sacrifice, your children will build. It just depends on where you sacrifice. But our story gets better because the first person God truly met that we still live in the blessing of is named Abraham. And Abraham was several hundred years before David. Watch this. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. Listen, Abraham is about to go. He's commanded by God to go sacrifice his son to the Lord. We know he ends up God delivering him, but listen to what happens. And he said to him, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain which I show you. Before David ever sacrificed there. Hundreds and hundreds of years before, even thousands of years before, Abraham sacrificed there. Why? Because wherever you sacrifice, your children will build. Michelle and I watched that video of those orange chairs. It was like surreal. I, I, I can tell you, we never thought Joseph would be the preacher. Believe me, we never thought Joseph would be the preacher. We thought we would have a preacher, at least one. But it wasn't Joseph. But he was there. And for more than 20 years, we have taken a sacrificial legacy offering. We used to call it Imagine a Place every year. And year after year, our children's names have been on here at the greatest need in their life. When Joseph wasn't in a good place, when Jacob Jr. wasn't in a good place, when Haddon wasn't in a good place, when Wesley wasn't in a good place. Amberly's always been in a good place. 
Thank God for girls. When Christian wasn't in a good place, their names were on here. Their names were on here. Today, Christian's preaching his last service in Tomball. Today, Amberly just arrived from working with Ukrainian refugees. Today, Joseph's waiting for me to die so he can take over. <laughs> Today, Jacob Jr.'s on his way back home. He's halfway back. Today, Haddon is preaching the gospel, memorized 600 verses of the Bible, and his goal is to memorize the New Testament. I never imagined they'd be pastors here. Do you know why? Because wherever you, Pastor Eugene's children, you know what they're doing? They're building the kingdom of God right with him. You saw Hannah. Lauren Graham, when her daddy wrote that check, he had no idea he was investing in his future, not only daughter building this house, but son-in-law working here in this house. They always come to the 8 o'clock service, and I'm back there shaking hands, and Roxanne came up and said, I just got to hug you. No. Thank you for that Charlie G's meal. Let's go eat at Charlie G's again. So, Pastor, what are we going to do? What are we going to sacrifice for in building his church? The first thing that we're going to sacrifice, we're going to raise more than a billion dollars, and we're going to do it first for foster care. Right now, we are renovating nine foster care meeting rooms in the foster care centers. I think we've already renovated three of them. We're going to use some of these resources. Oftentimes when parents get called, they need uh, cribs, they need food, they need other things. We're going to help do that. I think it is a sin for us to be pro-life and to fight that people not abort their children, but when they keep them, act like it doesn't even matter to the church. If God knew you in your mother's womb, he sure knows you sitting on your mama's lap or your mama's lap who might be on drugs or in crisis herself. We're going to help. We're going to help people and empower people in our church just like Ed and Jackie. Our story today, excuse me, EJ and Jackie. EJ, here's the story. EJ and I have been together for nine years, Jackie says, at the point we'd been raising two children, 10 and 9, from EJ's first marriage that we had custody of. We had also been trying to get pregnant for four years. We actually just started fertility treatments when we heard about Love Acadiana's video campaign in 2013 to foster children. We never really considered fostering or adoption, but instantly we felt a tug. We heard of the number of children in need in the homes in Lafayette alone. We knew we had to do something. I mean, we were going through fertility treatments at the same time, hoping that they would work, but we were totally going to be fostering children. We did the classes through OSC. We're certified by the end of the spring, in the beginning of the summer, we got our first call of an emergency temporary placement and the child stayed a week. Then in September, we got a call for a two-year-old little boy who had been in care for six months. 
but due to, an in, due to an injury the foster father sustained, he needed to be moved. We happily accepted our true foster journey began. We had a rapport with the birth family, and in January of the following year, their aunt asked us if we would take his six-year-old sister too. We said we'd pray about it. And after not really feeling like we had the answer, Child Protective Services told us we didn't have enough space in our house legally, so we thought, okay, I guess that's our answer. A few months later, EJ lost his job suddenly. Two days later, we had our normal six-month meeting with Child Protective Services when they informed us that the sister would, in fact, be placed with us by the end of the school year. We knew it was God because he would have to make arrangements for it to work. Fear didn't take over. I had peace that I had never had before that God would take care of it all, and he did. 30 days later, EJ had a new job that allowed us to buy our first house that had plenty of room. And in August of 2015, after being in foster care for 880 days, 444 with us, we adopted Jack and Sydney. Would you show that picture? And became part of our forever family. We knew we weren't done, but we wanted to close our home up and enjoy our time with our family of six. God had other plans. In October, we got a call from Katie asking if we wanted placement of an 11-week-old baby boy. This was totally God because our home wasn't open and it wasn't even Child Protective Service calling us. This baby was in the care from birth in the exact same circumstances a foster parent's injury caused him to be replaced. We instantly said yes. Y'all worked with us. Child Protective Services worked with us. And two days later, we had him. We had a beautiful relationship with his mother. And by August, the following year, she signed rights over for him to be adopted by us. In February 2016, we became a forever family of seven. Would you show that picture? Today, EJ and Jackie are here from our Broussard campus. I want you to stand up. Thank you. Let me tell you something, church. There's a lot of things we might do in this life that you don't know if they're truly for God. This is not one of them. He said, when you do it unto the least of these, my children, you've done it to me. You know why it's called least? If you help your friend, your friend will always help you. But when you help someone who can't do anything for you, and they look at you and go, why are you doing this for me? And you go, I'm doing it for him, for you. He's not here, so he sent me to do it for you. I'm sorry. When I saw that picture, 880 days. 880 days. How many kids are waiting? How many are waiting? 
Well, we have extra bedrooms. How many are waiting? Second thing. We're going to begin on January the 17th, 2023, in a few months, OSC College. We have given an, been given an incredible gift with Dr. Scott Adams at our Midtown campus. Dr. Scott has two PhDs and is an adjunct professor, has been at ORU, Regents University, and Grace School of Divinity, now called Manna University. He has a gift right here in our house at Pastors at Midtown. And he and his wife, Kelly, have a passion to raise up the next generation to equip them. And so starting January the 17th, we're remodeling dorms that we have at the campus, and we're going to begin our school. Our students are going to be getting the same college education that Dr. Scott is giving these universities where they are paying thousands of dollars to receive it. They're going to get training right here. They're going to have an opportunity to work at all of our campuses in pastoral ministry, media, sound, worship, children, youth, If you won't have to send your kids off to be equipped for ministry, they can get equipped right here in this house. Years ago, when we had a school like this, Don Norman, our pastor in New Iberia, came from that school. Pastor Gabe came from that school that's at our Broussard campus. Pastor Josh Belt from our Eunice Church He came from that school and tons of other staff that are here. We are going to be opening up our school because we do want to see more than 100 churches planted. And 25 years from now, we want a lot of other people standing going because of your sacrifice. We are now part of the churches that are transforming the country. Here's the third thing that we're going to do, our retreat at sunset. The retreat at sunset, which you have sacrificially given to, to have it 17 acres in sunset on a nine-acre pond where we take people that have gone through Christ-centered treatment for one year, for one year. Let me just share something with you. Do you know that the average treatment center costs $1,000 a day? A day. You go for 30 days, it's $30,000. Do you know what their success rate is? 10%. Teen Challenge is free. It's $500 and we pay to get you there. Do you know what the success rate is? 65%. Never go back to drugs. Never go back to addiction. Stay free. Look at me, church. 100,000 people died of just fentanyl last year. Not heroin, not meth, not acid, not all the other drugs that are out there. Just fentanyl. But Lafayette, Louisiana died last year. We're just over 100,000. Nobody wants to stand up and say that. In a three-month period, we did nine funerals for fentanyl overdoses of families that we've cried with, prayed with, wept with. We still call them and check on them regularly. We have Devin Brown, who's an incredible asset. He's a professional addiction specialist. And then we have the precious couple that runs our retreat at Sunset. In 2014, Michael Hankins was on a bed of suicide in Missouri. His mother had committed suicide years before. He'd taken drugs to kill himself. 
And someone came to his bedside and told him about Jesus, gave him a Bible, and told him about Teen Challenge. He went through. God changed his life. He became a leader and ultimately moved to several different responsibilities. And a year ago, we were able to hire he and his wife to live in our home and to train and reach the next generation of people coming out just like he was. Victoria and Michael, would you stand up? He has counseled 200 families they've counseled in the last year. And out of those 200 families, they have sent 40 people to Teen Challenge to get free from drugs and to have a new beginning in their life, all because of you and God's faithfulness. Let me tell you about one of those people. His name is Jacob. I like the name. He entered Adult and Teen Challenge program in awful condition. Staff at the facility defined Jacob as one of the worst cases they had ever seen and wondered if he'd ever make it through the program. During this year program, he was constantly reminded of his situation of his children were in. He desperately needed to get better, but his kids were in foster care. He had to battle guilt to stay in the program over a year. He had to trust that God would help him stick it out that he would be able to hang on, that God would heal him, restore his heart and his mind, and that he would be able to do everything he did to restore his family. When the time came for him to finish the program at Teen Challenge, he had no idea what the next step would be. And Michael Hankins came and spoke at their program and told them about the retreat at sunset, just at the right time. Jacob entered the retreat May 30th, 30 years old, he had hit the ground running. He didn't have a driver's license, had never graduated from high school. He had thousands of dollars of court fines and fees and medical bills and debt and child support and a laundry list of classes that were required by the court for him to fulfill until he could get back his children. He quickly got a job when we got him to the retreat at a local RV shop. He devoted practically all of his free time to meeting the requirements of court, getting his kids back, and serving at the church. In just a few short months, by the grace of God, he took driver's ed and got his driver's license for the first time. Not long after that, he took his high school diploma test and passed and got his high school diploma. He devoted 100% of his time to honoring God, paying off his debt, and day-to-day began the process of reaching out to his children. He brought nothing for himself. Every spare dollar went to seeing his kids or helping them buy school supplies and clothes while they were in foster care. Without warning, just a few weeks ago, his children's situation worsened. Child Protective Services had to do an emergency transfer and they were going to be moved again. They had been in foster care nearly two years. Jacob had only been at the retreat a few months, but now his kids were in crisis. Jacob had a week to find a home, buy a car, furnish a rental home for his children. But because of the incredible provision of the Opelousas campus and the resources that we gave him, thousands of dollars of your money to help him, the generosity of our church and amazing people he was able to go and to get his children, and now they are living here with him. Jacob, I want you to stand up. Come walk right up here with your boys. Come on. Jacob, walk right up here with your boys. Come on, give him a big hand and let him know how proud of him you are. 
Thank you. That's why the local church is the hope of the world. Because you did that. You know, when you say, Pastor, you did that. No, it was your money. I love spending your money. And when we ask you to give a million dollars, I pray there's somebody here that goes, Pastor, I got it. Because we will do more. And we'll put it to work. When there's a flood, you know who they call? Us. When there's a fire, you know who they call? Us. When there's a divorce, you know who they call? Us. When kids are demon-possessed, your kids. It's us. Because the local church is the hope of the world. And wherever we sacrifice, our children will build. And then finally, what is the last thing we're going to do with the monies that come in? We're going to start a new campus. Now, where do you think we're going to start a new campus? Bro Bridge? Come on. OSC of Doosan. How about Kaplan? Come on. Pirates need Jesus. Abbeville. No, we are going to Abbeville one day. We're going. But our new campus is going to begin a little bit after next year. You'll hear a whole lot more about it with our own Pastor Chris and Michelle Reese. Come on, Pastor Chris, stand up. Come on. If you want to be a part of our college, you can go to our saviorschurch.com and find out. And pretty soon we'll be emailing all of our congregation. Did I say where it's going to be? Where should we go? We're going to go to Youngsville. We're going to go to Youngsville. I know what y'all are saying. You're going, Pastor, well, what's going to happen here at the Lafayette campus? Well, it's going to be me and Joseph. You know, my spiritual father that led me to Christ when I was 14 years old always pastored with his father-in-law. And one day he asked him, he said, Am I the assistant pastor or the associate pastor? And his father-in-law looked at him and said, son, it doesn't matter. They both start with the same three letters. (laughs) So Joseph's going to be the assistant or the associate. You could just, (laughs) whichever three letters you decide. Look right here, church. I am so grateful. I am so proud to be your pastor. I mean that in the best way. It is such a privilege. It is such a privilege. Thank you for the trust that you give to us. Thank you for the confidence that you placed in Pastor Chris and Michelle and Pastor Joseph and Rochelle and Pastor Blake. It is beautiful. And all of our pastors, thank you so much. We don't take any of that for granted, whether it's in Broussard with Pastor Gabe or Pastor Don or Pastor Eugene and Heidi or Dr. Scott. Thank you. We don't take that for granted. But I promise you what we are going to do, we are going to reach people and build lives and expand the kingdom of God in empty heaven or empty hell and fill heaven. And we're going to help as many hurting people as we can and take as many people as we can to heaven before we die. You and us together. So, Pastor, what do you think? 
I think it's time to plant another apple tree.